0: I'm Carson Horn, and it's Monday at 10, which means it's time for Talkin' Tumors on Weagle 91.1. So grab your toilet paper, and let's get rolling. Well, I could just repeat the intro from last week, because once again, it was another week of highs and lows for Auburn basketball. However, there were some positives this week in basketball. There were some positives certainly on the diamond as Auburn baseball got their season started. We'll also talk a little bit about Auburn football again today, some of the transfers that are coming in as we inch closer to spring practice. Hard to, It's crazy to think that we are so close to spring practice getting going, but yet here we are. It feels like the season just ended, but that's the college football calendar for you. And with that, you know, we're nearly halfway through the semester. So this this uh, show is rolling on, and let's dive into the week that was for Auburn basketball. Look, it's going to be doom and gloom a little bit here, but we'll get into some more positive as the show rolls on. And we'll actually start out with some happy before we dive into the negative. So let's start out with the beginning of the week. We start, go back to last Wednesday night. Auburn had two home games this week. It was a big week. Started out on Wednesday night against the number 11 team in the country, South Carolina, and just obliterated them. The final score was 101-61, to one of the most impressive wins that Neville Arena has ever seen. Now, South Carolina, we, we've talked about them a lot on this show. When my friend Zach came on the show earlier uh, a few weeks ago, we talked about them being a contender in the SEC after they were predicted to finish last in the sec to ended up being in first place for a certain amount of time in the rankings and they ended up getting ranked in the ap poll all the way to number 11 that was probably too high yes however they deserved it they had won the games a lot of games they weren't supposed to win they kept on winning so you as an ap voter you had no choice but to rank them higher the analytics continued to to not really like the gamecocks that much and usually the analytics are pretty spot on they obviously adjust based on the results, but they did not ever get too high on South Carolina, and I think they were right in, in that point. However, that is not to take anything away from Auburn. This was a tremendous performance from the Tigers. No one would, have, no one in college basketball would have beaten Auburn the way they played on on Wednesday night inside Neville Arena. They scored 101 points on a defense. The average giving up 64 points per game. Just insane. Scored 50, over 50 in the first half, or right at 50 in the first half. Shot 61% from the field, 60% from three. Had a 100% offensive rating. That's the highest that it gets. Literally, the, the, the stats, the analytics here said that Auburn genuinely, this is you know not an exaggeration or anything like that, or hyperbole, Auburn could not have played a better offensive game according to the computers. Again, 9 for 12 from 3 with 5 threes coming from Jalen Williams and 4 threes coming from Janai Broome. Just an incredible, incredible showing from, from Auburn. And again, the defense played well as always. Held South Carolina underneath their average for points per game. Did not let them get going from 3. It was beautiful. It was fun to watch. I was there. It was Valentine's Day. So the jungle was rowdy. It was a little bit... A little bit died down from typical, but still a really good environment. And it was a lot of fun for those who came to spend their, their Valentine's evening in Neville Arena. So that was a fun night. Fast forward to Saturday. It was a fun start to Saturday, but it was not a, a fun game. So Saturday was a, was a big day for Auburn basketball. for Yet again, for the fourth straight year, not including the COVID year, college game day was coming to Auburn. Literally, students started camping out for the game. I was not a part of the the ones that camped out but some students began to camp out during before the South Carolina game ended so not much sleep for a lot of the students that they had camped out got into college game day on Saturday morning they opened the doors at 7 a.m. Saturday morning and uh, game day started at, at 9 a.m. so it was fun to have college game day back in back in Auburn again this season so that was a fun morning. Then everybody had time to to uh, head and try to get some rest before the game, and the tip off was at five. So it was it was a big day for Auburn. Tons of recruits, a lot of Auburn celebrities were in, were in town. Of course, you had Auburn baseball starting up. So it was a it was a big weekend. However, the game was disappointing uh, for Auburn. Auburn played its worst home game it has played this season. You could argue the worst home game it's played in in a couple of seasons. Uh, under Bruce Pearl, lost 70-59. Statistically in this game, this was Auburn's worst shooting performance, and this is what's crazy to me, at home during Bruce Pearl's entire tenure as Auburn's head coach. You would have thought it was as, with as bad of an offensive team as last year's team was, and it might have been last year's team or or even some teams from early on during Bruce Pearl's time as head coach, but no. It, it, this was the worst uh, shooting performance. That, is, that was pretty astounding when I, when I read that. But before we get into all the, the negatives of the game and what went wrong, let's start with the good. Auburn held Kentucky to 70 points, a team that averages nearly 90 points per game, and held them to only four threes. Look, Bruce Pearl said it. I think anyone, if you had told them that Auburn's going to hold Kentucky to 70 points, I think many people would have thought, oh, Auburn's going to win this game and going to win it pretty easily at home if they do that. Again, the defensive game plan was excellent. Auburn ran Kentucky off the three-point line, said you're going to score, you're going to score at the basket, you're going to score. Having to take tough layups, having to take tough shots, and and Kentucky did some of that, they did. But very, very nice job of defending the Wildcats on Saturday by Auburn, but really that was the only positive. The offense was atrocious, and again, extremely rare to see Auburn's offense be that poor at home, just not something we're accustomed to. we we'll see it on the road, you know, it's okay, especially though after, after what you saw on Wednesday. It was never fair to expect that again, but I, I would have never in my wildest dreams imagined Auburn shooting 18% uh, from three in the game, 31% from the field in the game. Would, would have never guessed that would have happened at home. But the 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 moral of the story is the same issues that had plagued Auburn in all except the Baylor loss this season uh, were, were the issues on on Saturday. But again, it's just we have not seen those issues come to fruition at home like they did on Saturday night. And it, and it starts first first off with sl- sloppy guard play. Eleven turnovers in the game, and no, not all of them were from Trey Donaldson or or, or Kde or Denver or Aiden, but. The, the Trey Donaldson especially did not handle the pressure well. There were no assists in the game from the guards. Auburn had a decent amount of assists, and we know that that's where their offense thrives. Had over 20, I think, in the South Carolina game. Auburn needs to be sharing the basketball. No assists from the, from your guards, not going to do the job. They have to step up, and Bruce Pearl said that after the game. So we've got to get better guard play. Again, my concern with this team, as my is, as it's been this year, because I do think this is a good team, has been the guard play. I I felt that, and again, it's no secret, if if you contain Auburn's front court, then you can beat them unless their guards step up and play better. And right now, in Auburn's losses, they haven't done that. And so Auburn's guards have to play better. We'll talk more about that moving forward. But that's where the start was. The turnovers and not being able to really get the offense going from your point guard position especially was an issue. And then the front court limited, as I just mentioned. It, it's not as really as much as Jani Broom because we've seen Jani Broome go off in Auburn losses. We think about Alabama. He had a good game against Kentucky. He had 14 points. Yes, that's a little, a little bit below his average. But they stopped Jalen Williams. And, of course, Jalen Williams got hurt in the second half. We'll talk about that here in just a second. But held him to three points in, in 25 minutes. There's your recipe. There is your recipe for beating Auburn. Forced turnovers. Limit their front court, especially Jalen Williams. Don't allow him to get going, and force Auburn's guards to beat you. And right now, Auburn's guards have not proven that they they can do that. So again, the same same scenario has played out in every every loss that's set the Baylor game, which at this point is pretty much an anomaly in Auburn's uh, season. And then finally, poor shooting. Of course, that's obvious thing that you're going to shoot poorly in in your losses. But to shoot as poorly, as I mentioned, 18% from three, 31% from the field was astonishing. Auburn had a lot of good looks. Now, Bruce Pearl gave credit to Kentucky's defense. And yes, to a certain extent, they deserve credit for, especially how they defended Jani Broom and Jalen Williams and the pressure that they put on Auburn's guards. But also, Auburn, they gave Auburn looks from three. Denver Jones had a lot of open looks. I think uh, Jalen and Jani both had some open looks that they didn't make. Uh, Aiden and and Trey, I, the looks were there to to be had for Auburn. If they had just been able to knock down a few more shots, it, it would have been a completely different game. I, I think back to the moment where it became it was forty seven to forty two. Auburn had gotten some turnovers, uh, defensively, gotten on a little bit of a run, and they missed a trans- Chaney Johnson missed a transition three. Aiden missed a three. That was a chance to cut it to a two point game. It was just you were just a shot off. A couple times happened. Same thing kind of happened in the first half, to where you could have made this a different ball game, and the shots just did not fall. Again, I have reason to believe that that won't be the case, especially at home. Moving forward, sometimes that just happens. That's that. That's how the no no pun intended, but that's how the ball bounces. Sometimes in sports, you'll have a game where everything seems to be going in, like South Carolina game, and then what happens against Kentucky? Again, that's not to to minimize the issues or the concerns. They're certainly there. But that is to say that sometimes that's just how sports uh, go, and it's unfortunate that it happened on Saturday for Auburn. So, what does this loss mean for Auburn moving forward? Well, first off, it was a missed opportunity. The loss doesn't hurt Auburn a ton as far as its NCAA seeding. The top 16 rankings came out from the NCAA selection committee, meaning if the tournament was selected on on Saturday, that is what the top 16 teams would have been. Auburn came in the number 13 overall seed, which is the top four seed. There's still probably a four seed even after that Kentucky loss, but it was a missed opportunity. With a win against Kentucky, it would have been another quad one win for Auburn. It would have had the potential to have moved them up the rung, possibly into a three seed. So obviously that did not happen. So it didn't hurt you a ton. It was just a missed opportunity. For Auburn. The, the biggest thing though that probably hurts is SEC championship unlikely at this point unless Auburn can pull off a massive upset at Tennessee which will probably be a game you'll, you'll be without Jalen Williams even with Jalen Williams probably going to be unlikely that Auburn's going to win that game so chances are slim at this point sitting at four losses with five games remaining in SEC play. I think still think there's a good chance Auburn finishes at 13 and five record, which will put them at a good good spot to finish probably anywhere in the three to four range in the SEC. But lo- losing that game to to uh, Kentucky really hurts your chances of at least getting a share of the SEC title. So that's probably what hurts the most for for Auburn is it's not being able to 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 stay in the the race for the SEC championship. Again, you go on a hot streak in the improbable you can never count it out. Can't count Auburn completely out here, just unlikely at this point. I think as far as where Auburn will land at the standings, at this point they can land anywhere from, yes, still tied to first, anywhere down to six. I think six will be the lowest that they could possibly finish in the SEC race. I, I tend to believe they'll still finish in the top four. And then finally, this game just proved that Auburn is mortal at home, or at least can be mortal at home. Because after that South Carolina game, I think a lot of people were questioning, even myself, if anyone can beat Auburn at home. They proved that, that yeah, it's going to take a special night for the opposing team and an extremely historically bad night for Auburn for that to happen. But proved that it can be done. Uh, Auburn can, can play poorly at home and can be beat. At home, So those are my three takeaways uh, from the game. I'll have plenty more uh, to dive into for Auburn basketball as we move forward on the show. We'll preview the Georgia game. Auburn has a week off now before they travel to Georgia on Saturday, so they've got a week off to figure out things regarding Jalen Williams' injury and how to make the most of the remaining five games to put themselves in the best position entering March Madness in the SEC tournament. So I'll dive into Jalen Williams' entry and the impact that that will have on Auburn's team. So don't worry, I will get to that. But when we return, we're going to shift gears for a bit and dive into Auburn football. So stay tuned to Talking Tumors on Weagle 91.1. So, who's going to do what? Flashlights? Nowhere to be found. Auburn football spring practice begins on February 27th. So, we are just about a week away from that getting going. So, as spring practice rolls on, because it goes all the way, A-Day is in the, I believe, the first or second weekend of April. I believe the first weekend of April. So, over the next month plus, we will dive into different position groups on the roster, We'll, we'll talk about what's going on at spring practice, some things that have stood out. So we'll have plenty of football coverage over the next month plus. But before we get into that, I've talked a little bit about the high schoolers coming in. I needed to get to where I could talk to you about the transfers that have come in, because I have not discussed them yet, because, I again, I, I focus more on the coaching moves and some of the high school players. But let's talk about the transfer players that are coming in that will be here for, for For spring practice that are here currently enrolled at Auburn. So first off, though, this was not as big of a portal class, at least right now, as it was last year. And and that's intentional. Hugh Freeze talked about it last year. That's not the desired way uh, of building a roster for Hugh Freeze. And I completely agree with him on this. Some coaches in some programs, don't have a choice. Every year they're going to have to build their roster through the portal because they don't have the ability necessarily to recruit at a high level with high school players. Auburn can. They showed that this year. They can recruit at a high level in in the high school ranks. I I think to a, a program like an Ole Miss, they go all in on the portal because they struggle a little bit more recruiting high school players. So this is... They have to recruit a little bit differently, put more emphasis on the transfer portal. And then coaches who are coming in their first year, like Hugh Freeze last year, they have to go all in on the portal because you you typically lose a lot of guys. And if you want to compete immediately, you've got to bring in a lot of guys from the portal. And then in year two, you're still going to have to bring in a decent amount of players because you're still building that base, that depth of your roster, still not where you want it to be. Hopefully by year three, though, we continue in, in Hugh Freeze's eyes, I'm sure he hopes to see the, the number of transfers coming in continuing to decrease year in and year out to where you get to the point where you're only taking a couple every cycle. But as of right now, Auburn has brought in nine. So let's dive into those players right now. Let's start out with Antonio Cotte. He is a 6'1 safety transfer from Alabama. He's going to have four years of eligibility left because he only played in one game this past season, at Alabama. He had a connection with Auburn's co-defensive coordinator, Charles Kelly. Charles Kelly recruited him when he was at Alabama. Lots of potential here was a four-star recruit out of high school. But again, that's all I can really say because haven't seen him in action yet. I, I do think the Auburn coaching staff is high on him. And he could certainly see playing time this season because we know what Auburn's losing in the secondary. But again, this is a talented group. In Auburn secondary this year, just going to be inexperienced. So Antonio Kite will add to the the room there, will add more talent to the room, and will add more competition, and again, someone with a lot of years of eligibility left. So he was a a later pickup for Auburn right before the window closed to get enrolled for classes. He was brought in. Another safety transfer that I I do believe will start this year for Auburn and have an immediate impact is Jaron Thompson. He's a six-foot safety, transfer from Texas. Played in all four years at Texas. Started this past season. Had three interceptions. He's he will be in his fifth year, as I mentioned, uh, this this season at Auburn. This was a big pickup. Auburn needed to add some experience, add some depth to the secondary. So I think this was a much-needed addition. To the the defensive back room, so really excited to see him play. I think he's a very good player. Lots of tackles as well last season for the Longhorns. So we'll see what uh, what he brings to the room. Looking forward to watching him this spring and, and seeing how he does. But again, much needed addition to add some experience and add some depth to the room for Auburn. And then Trill Carter, staying on the Texas theme, is a defensive tackle transfer from te- uh, Texas. Six two. Three hundred and ten pounds and massive, massive dude coming from Texas. He was a rotational piece for the Longhorns. He'll probably be a rotational piece for Auburn. Auburn went after a couple defensive linemen. This was uh, they got two of them in this first cycle. I do believe they'll go after more after spring. But Auburn need to add some depth. I'm not super super high on on this addition, like I said, I think it was a needed addition, but after what we saw last year with some of the defensive line guys, they don't make a huge impact. And they didn't play a ton. And I think of a guy like uh, Lawrence Johnson that, that was brought in from Purdue. I think that Troy Carter could be something similar. I hope that he's that he's better than that. But you have to bring it in because you have to add depth. but I'm not sure he's going to make a huge impact along the defensive line for Auburn. But we'll see. This is his sixth year of college football. Transfer from, Transfer He was originally at Minnesota, then to Texas, and then to Auburn. So, again, size is there, potential possibly there. We'll see how it all uh, pans out, but I don't think he's a huge difference maker immediate, immediately here for Auburn this season. And the other defensive lineman who Auburn brought in that I am a little bit higher on, that is Gage Keys from Kansas. 6'5", 290-pound defensive lineman. Funny enough, he also started his career at Minnesota, but he has two years of eligibility left coming from Kansas, and may I just say, Auburn had a lot of success with the last transfer defensive lineman that Auburn brought in from Kansas. That was Marcus Harris. Now, I don't think Gage Keys is going to be able to live up to the level that Marcus Harris played at. At Auburn, he was absolutely phenomenal. That is, that is too big of a... Uh, too too big to to put that on. Engage uh, keys his shoulders. I don't expect him to be able to reach that. But I do think he will make a difference. Will make an impact again. To tons of tons of potential here. When you look at a 6, 5, 290 frame, I know that new defensive line coach Montreal King Williams is fired up to get to work with him and develop him. That's going to be key. It'll be it'll be key for Auburn to really develop him. He had twenty one total tackles at Kansas last season. Auburn needs him to pan out. If this defensive line is going to take a step this next season, they need him to take a to have a big step in his development this upcoming year. So looking forward to seeing how he pans out. Maybe he's he has a decent year one, and maybe this uh, second year on the Plains he's a star, kind of like Marcus Harris was. We'll see. We'll see how it all plays out. But looking forward to watching him grow and develop. Next up, staying on the defensive side of the ball, is Dorian Mousy. A 6'2, 230 linebacker transfer from Duke. Four-year player at Duke. 61 total tack up, excuse me. Total tackles at Duke last season. Look, Auburn returns both the starting linebackers in Eugene Asante and uh, Austin Key. So I do not expect Mossy to start, but he provides some depth to that linebacker room that you probably needed. Because Auburn brought in a really good linebacker class of freshmen, but you need a little bit more experience in that room. So he provides depth, so that is always good to have. But I don't expect him to be a high-impact player for Auburn this upcoming season. But again, provides experience. And you're seeing that's kind of a theme with a lot of these transfers. Again, Antonio Kite, uh, a little bit of an outlier there. But when you look at Jerry and Thompson, Trill Carter, and um And then, of course, Mousy here. You're seeing some experience there to provide depth. Now let's shift to the offensive side of the ball. Percy Lewis is a 6'8", 360-pound offensive tackle transfer from Mississippi State. This was a huge get for Auburn. He was a starter at Mississippi State. Auburn is hopeful that this addition is going to allow them to move Dylan Wade away from tackle to guard. Dylan Wade did a really good job. He was Auburn's best offensive lineman, in my opinion, last year. You can make the argument for Gunnar Britton. But I, I thought that that Dylan Wade played well. Him being able to move to guard will be huge for Auburn's offensive line that I think has potential to be a strength of this team next season. So Percy Lewis is a good pass blocker, of course, coming from Mississippi State, having an experience in the, the air raid offense. Of course, they shifted to a more... Spread-style offense this past season. He's got to improve his run blocking, but I think with his size, I think that that's something that Jake Thornton can certainly get out of him. So looking forward to to seeing how this plays out. And again, this is not a for-sure thing. Percy Lewis has to win that job there, has to be good enough in order for Dylan Wade to move to guard, but Auburn's hopeful that will be the case. Then Rico Walker's a tight end transfer, 6'4", 250, He's a receiving tight end, a developmental tight end, someone who will have four years of eligibility as well, like Antonio Kite. Auburn decided to bring him in over a high school tight end. They, they, Again, I don't expect him to play much this season with Rivaldo Fairweather being that number one receiving tight end for Auburn, but someone with a lot of potential. Again, 6'4", 250, good size, a receiving tight end, so we'll see how, how it all plays out. Wouldn't expect big contributions for him this season. Again, I see him more as a true freshman type of player. But we'll see. You never know. Then one of the more interesting additions uh, out of the transfer portal for Auburn was Sam Jackson. If That name sounds familiar to you. That's because he was the starting quarterback for Cal when Auburn played them earlier in the year. He's 5'11", 170. But no, He's not coming in to play quarterback for Auburn. He's coming to play wide receiver. He was a wide receiver in his early years in high school when Peyton Thorne, his high school teammate, was the quarterback there, and then he when Peyton Thorne graduated, he moved to quarterback and then ended up being a a quarterback signee out of high school. But if he is state a receiver, that may some believe that may have may have been a better decision for him and he would have had the opportunity to play at a higher level at some higher higher programs if he had stayed as a receiver. With all that being said, it's a risky addition for Auburn in the sense that you don't know which, how it's going to work out. He can end up being Auburn's best receiver. It can be a total bust. He, he may not be able to play receiver at all. What Auburn does know is that he's a great athlete, that he has that connection with Peyton Thorne, so Auburn was willing to take that risk. I think Peyton Thorne pushed for it. When you're when you're close with someone like Peyton Thorne is with Sam Jackson, he's your friend. He he's looking to he realized that if he wants to get to the next level, his best chance to do that is at the receiver position. He's a great athlete. We'll see how we'll see how it pans out this year for for him. Of course, it would open up possibly some trick plays as well at, at quarterback for Sam Jackson this season. So this is a a big time unknown. It's a gamble. But we'll see how it pans out. Of course, he's going to have to to work hard with, with Marcus Davis to hone in those receiving skills. Marcus Davis is a tremendous coach. If anyone can get a high-level of play out of him, it'll be Marcus Davis. And then finally, to round out the transfer portal class right now, Robert Lewis, Georgia State transfer receiver, 5'11", 175 pounds, He had 877 yards receiving and seven touchdowns last year. He's not the most athletic, not the fastest guy, but the guy knows how to get open. And that that is what Auburn needs. They did not have anyone who could just find green grass last season. That's why Auburn took him. He had a bulk number of receptions this past season for Georgia State. And Auburn just wanted someone who could find green grass and can make a catch. So, Robert Lewis adds that. I will not be surprised if he ends up starting this season for, for Auburn. I thought this was a big addition for, for the receiver room that's bringing in some talented freshmen in Cam Coleman and Perry Thompson, but to add Robert Lewis I thought was very important, so super excited about that addition for Auburn. As I mentioned, Auburn's going to have to add more in the second spring window We'll talk more about where some holes are later on in the coming weeks on Auburn's roster and where they'll have to go after in the second spring window as far as transfer portal, but that is what they've added for now. So we will leave it there and go to our second break. When we return, we will dive into Auburn baseball, so we're keeping it rolling with going into our third different sport in the third segment. So stay tuned to Talking Tumors on Weagle 91.1. Hi, I'm Matt Kenseth. You don't have to be a race car driver to know that life Ad council counsel. Auburn Baseball had a great weekend to open up their season. The Hall of Fame Club opened up as part of the renovations that have taken place, broke a Auburn student record for the most students to ever attend an Auburn baseball game with the new right center field seating opening up for students. So it was a – and then they swept Eastern Kentucky to actually talk about the actual game. So it was a as good of a weekend as Butch Thompson could have drawn up for this Auburn baseball team to start off their season. It was a it was great environment at Plainsman Park. Really excited to see the renovations get finished ne- next season as they – Build some more down the right field line and continue to expand the the student uh, section seating is really it's really going to be neat to see it all uh, come into play. Frank Thomas was in town, but with all that being said, let's dive into the weekend and I'll get into my takeaways from opening weekends. Auburn won the the scores uh, of the three games: first game seventeen to six, then six to one in the second game, and nine to one in the third game. So my first takeaway is to is to say this I have to be careful to not make too much of one series of one game baseball season is extremely long and so Auburn's competition the teams they play will increase as the season goes on not everyone's going to be on from the uh, plate every weekend not every pitcher is going to have their best stuff every time out so have to be careful to to not make too much of one series or one game but with that being said I think my my biggest takeaway might have been about Ike Irish who I think is poised for yet another big year. He's a phenomenal player. He is a he's a pro. Uh, meaning not saying that he should be in the MLB right now, but I am saying that that he could be in the minors right now. At least from a hitting standpoint, phenomenal, phenomenal hitter. He went 4 for 12 in the series, had 6 RBIs. He he is so fun to watch. His swing is pure. He he finds holes tremendous uh, player, really good uh, person as well. Looking forward to watching him the rest of this season. He's going to be huge for for how far Auburn can go this year. They're certainly going to rely on him at the plate this season. Only negative was he had a couple bases stolen on him, but as a former catcher myself, I am pretty adamant on defending catchers. I thought all except one of the stolen bases were more of, the bases were stolen on the pitchers, meaning the pitchers were, were slow with their delivery to the plate, didn't really give Ike much of a chance. I thought his throws were actually pretty, pretty solid again, all for it except one. One kind of sailed on him into uh, right center field. But besides, besides that, he was really solid both behind the plate as he moves into this catcher role after just DHing for the most part last season. I I am interested to see, does the catching wear on him and cause some issues at the plate? We won't know that till we get much later into the season. Next up, I thought the lineup showed great potential and great promise to be a really deep lineup, one through nine. The whole lineup is a threat. There could be some changes, of course. There, I mean, there will be changes as Butch Thompson continues to figure out what his best order looks like. The top of the order, especially Javon Hernandez at leadoff position, struggled this weekend. But other than that... The lineup looked good. The bottom of the order hit really, really well. Middle of the order was decent, especially with Ike Irish and Bobby Pierce and Chris Stanfield there in the middle. I'll be, I'll be interested to see if, if Stanfield is, is put back into that leadoff spot or if Butch Thompson continues to have him there in in the middle of the order. He has the highest average uh, on the season. He's hitting six, uh, 66 so far after the, the first series, so He actually hit for the cycle in the first series had a single, double, triple, and a home run. Not in one game, of course, but in the series as a whole, Chris Stanfield did. So, I think that the lineup will change some, but overall showed really great potential that you've got guys at the bottom of the order with power and guys that could hit with high average all the way, 1 through 9. And then transfers. Transfers are going to be key. We kind of knew this going into the season, but once you saw the team out there this weekend, it really occurred to me how reliant this team is going to be on transfer. When you look at third baseman Derek Fabian out of Florida, he had a huge Sunday, played really well uh, yesterday in that game. Uh, Cooper Wise, the transfer shortstop from uh, Miami of Ohio. Then DH is rotating, uh, depending on the pitcher, but Christian Hall will DH a good bit. The transfer from UAB hit a home run yesterday. Mason Mayners, who struggled a little bit at the plate but started to find some rhythm, it looked like, later on in the series for, for Auburn and left field. And then Javon Hernandez, who I mentioned, struggled at the plate this weekend, but Butch Thompson talked about he's got all the confidence in the world in him that he'll get it going from the plate. But again, you look, second base, shortstop, third base, and left field, those are all transfers for Auburn. So no doubt those guys are going to play a pivotal role. And then your pitchers, as well, you got the transfer in Carson Myers, who had an impressive outing. From transferring from UAB, he was phenomenal yesterday. Through six innings, eight strikeouts, zero runs given up. Really, really impressive showing from him. Of course, it's not fair to expect that in every game, but that third rotation spot is a little bit up for grabs right now between him and Christian Herberholtz, who came in in relief, and I don't want to overstate. Over, I didn't want Myers to overshadow Herbert Holtz, but he did to a certain extent. Herbert Holtz did well. Gave up one run yesterday in three innings pitch. Came in out of the bullpen throwing 95 was a good uh, elevation of velocity compared to Myers, who was sitting more upper 80s. So really, I think those two. And Herbert Holtz started big-time games last year for Auburn in SEC play. So either one of those guys starting looks like it'll put Auburn in a good position, but Myers certainly put a stamp on on his role there, that he's going to have a big role, whether it's starting or coming in relief for Auburn this year. But it's going to be hard-pressed for Butch Thompson not to start Myers again next weekend in their tournament in Jacksonville after his showing. But again, Herbert Holtz looked good, too. And that that goes into my uh, final final takeaway, that the pitching showed promise. So the starters, other two starters in the series were Chase Alsop and Joseph Gonzalez. Alsop honestly had the worst outing of all three starters, for this weekend and he was giving kind of put in the ace role for Auburn. He, but he, it wasn't a bad outing from from Awesome. He threw 4.2 innings and gave up three earned. Gave up a couple of home runs. Just I think some pitches that kind of got away from him. Command is always the the issue for uh, Chase. That's something he has to battle through. He had to battle through last year. He has great stuff. Where it goes is more of the concern for him. When he's locked in, though, it's hard to find anyone who's any better. So I think he'll be fine. I'm not worried about him at all. Butch Thompson could move around that rotation. Maybe he, he wants to go with Gonzo on a Friday night and move Chase to Saturday. I'm not sure he'll have to figure that out as the season rolls on. But Joseph Gonzalez, speaking of him, to not have thrown... In a real game, in a year to go out there and throw five innings, gave up no earned and have two strikeouts, phenomenal. Outing from him, so great to see him back on the mound. Really excited to see him have a big season this year and hopefully be able to elevate his game and elevate his draft stock once again like it was a couple years ago before his injury last season. So really looking forward to watching this Auburn pitching staff. I think the depth is much deeper than it's been in the past, and Butch Thompson talked about that as well after the game yesterday, that he feels like the bullpen is deeper than it's been. You have more quality arms than you had last year. That's important because SEC play is tough, and there are going to be a lot of really, really good teams, a lot of teams that can really hit the baseball. So you're going to need plenty of arms, especially for, for three games in a weekend. So, with all that being said, this baseball team is going to be fun to watch this year. They're still not ranked, but that's okay. Again, the SEC is loaded, and uh, Auburn's going to be able to compete, though, with anyone, I believe, this season and have a chance to make a good run and hopefully get host maybe a regional, again, this upcoming uh, season. But, again, long way to go before then, a long season ahead for the Tigers. They'll play UAB at home on Tuesday night before heading to Jacksonville for the Jacks College Baseball Classic where they'll face off against Iowa, Wichita State, and Virginia. I I think that'll be a a good weekend. There's a little bit step up in competition compared to Eastern Kentucky for Auburn so it'll be it'll be fun to watch this group continue to grow. There will be ups and downs of course this season, but a lot of positive thoughts at least from this show after Auburn Baseball's first weekend in action. So I'm going to take the final break a little bit early, real quickly, so we can dive into Auburn basketball, talk about the impact of Jalen Williams' injury, and preview the Georgia game before we get out of here today. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. Being entrusted with the parent's medical needs can be hard, but they need you, whether they realize it. Auburn fans were, were pretty upset after the Kentucky loss on on Saturday, and you certainly understand the reason. You, you were probably one of them because of the situation we discussed earlier in the show, and... And, of course, Jalen Williams' injury and, and losing at home, just so shocking to, to Auburn fans. All that played a role into it. But Bruce Pearl was surprisingly fairly positive in, in his postgame comments. So let me read this one quote from Bruce Pearl from uh, postgame of the Kentucky game. Quote, I'm not worried about it. I think you know how I felt about this team from the very beginning. I said this is a good team with a chance of being a very good team. What they've shown is they are a very good team with a chance to be a great team. We weren't very good tonight. I, I'm i going in expected to see this at times against the best teams on our schedule. I still like our team. I do. If Jalen is out, we're going to have to figure some things out. I think the guys will step up. Jalen Williams, if he's out for a little while, it has to be the next man up. That's a significant loss. So I'll, I'll discuss Jalen Williams here in just a second, but I want to... To comment on Bruce Pearl's post-game quote there about the Auburn team, he was asked more specifically about the two double-digit losses within the week to Florida on the road and then Kentucky at home. Again, I've also said from the get-go, I thought this Auburn team had a chance to be special. I still believe that they need Jalen Williams back. Seems like that will be the case at some point, but it it, it is um, there are concerns there obviously, and uh, as I mentioned. But that does not mean this team can't get hot at the right time and with the right matchups in March can make a deep run and, and add to the history books of, of Auburn basketball. I still believe Auburn can make a deep run in March and can accomplish some great things. I think they can win the SEC tournament. Again, I think it's a little, bit, a little bit difficult to win the SEC regular season at this point, but I do think this is a team that could win the SEC tournament and can make a deep run in the NCAA tournament. But they are going to have to improve, and I think they will. So let's start now. Let's dive into this Georgia preview. No game on Tuesday or Wednesday. Auburn has the bye week finally. Couldn't have come at a better time. Of course, Auburn did not know that the Jalen Williams injury was going to occur, of course. But it gives him a little bit more time to to rest without Auburn having to play a game during that time. And then again, just a, a tough week. With, with Even though both games were at home against two good teams in South Carolina, and Kentucky, so a chance for this Auburn team to to breathe, take a deep breath, a chance for this coaching staff to take a deep breath and reevaluate things as you get prepared for a a big-time march ahead. Mike White has had Bruce Pearl's uh, number quite often, especially at his time at Florida. He's now at Georgia. Georgia has good guards. They're not a great team. They're 14-11, 11th in the SEC this game was at home, even with Jalen Williams out, I wouldn't have many concerns, but it's on the road. And so I think it's going to be a tough battle. Their guards are uh, Jabri Abdur Rahim. He has 12.7 points per game, 37% from three. Noah Thomason, 12.5 points per game, 37% from three as well. And then RJ Melendez, 10.2 points per game, does a good job of getting to the basket. These guards could cause trouble for Auburn on the offensive end. This Georgia team can really score. They're not very good defensively. Uh, they do have a, a good center in Russell Tachewa. He was transferred from South Florida. So how does he match up with Janai Broom in the paint will be something to watch. Georgia's guards give 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 me some reservations about this game, especially with Jalen Williams uh, being out. So obviously there's going to be a lot more focus on Janai Broom. Auburn's going to need him to play well, but... With Jalen Williams out, Georgia can focus more on just Jani Broom in the front court. They don't have to worry about another dominant force in Jalen Williams. So with that being said, what is the the loss impact for Jalen Williams and how does Auburn deal with the loss? The obvious answer is, well, Chain Johnson's gotta step up. And yes, that is true. Chane Johnson's gonna have to play more minutes more than likely, and he's going to have to play well. He has shown signs of potential this season, but that's about it. He, he has played well in a few games, I thought. He, he has shown signs, but really has not proven that he can step into the role. And He's not going to be Jalen Williams. You can't expect that type of production from him. But with more minutes, you can expect him to play better and do possibly add more on the offensive end. He's done well around the basket with some of the shots he's taken. He can elevate and with his size at 6'8", his jump shot's decent. He hasn't shot it well from three at all this year, He, which is a little bit surprising because he shot it pretty well at North Alabama last season. Of course, his step up in play, but I think a lot of the looks he's gotten have been good. But he hasn't shot it well. I think for Cheney, it's going to be important that he doesn't try to do too much. He doesn't, again, doesn't feel like he has to be Jalen Williams. He just has to be himself and play the way that he's capable of playing. Play to his strengths, do what he's good at, play defense, rebound, and look for some shots when they are there. A key for him, though, also will be to stay out of foul trouble. The rotation is is with one less player now, so he cannot afford to get into foul trouble, especially early in the game. So that'll be key for him. But what will determine if Auburn can beat Georgia and can compete in these games without Jalen Williams? It comes down to Auburn's guards. Janai Broom can only do so much, and again, with more attention going to be put on him without teams having to worry about Jalen Williams, it's going to be even harder for Janai Broom to score at a high level. So Auburn's guards have to make shots, they have to figure out how to score. I'm actually, in a way, obviously not excited about Jalen Williams' injury, but I am excited to, to see the guards being forced to pick up their play a little bit more, to see more pressure being put on them to perform at a high level, I think they can do it, and that's why. If I didn't think they could do it, I wouldn't be sitting here saying I'm excited to see how they fare. I believe this, these guards: Denver Jones, Trey Donaldson, Aiden Holloway, Katie Johnson. They're talented enough. They're good enough to step up and play better, and I think they will. I, I especially against Georgia. I think they're good. I think they're going to meet the challenge. And I think they'll be ready to play. If they don't meet the challenge, Auburn will lose. They'll lose at Georgia. They'll lose at Tennessee. And they'll even have a chance to lose at home in some of the games that that are still to be played. But that, I, like I, said, I still think Auburn will lose to Tennessee. I thought they were going to lose that game with Jalen Williams. But this Georgia game, Auburn should win it. They are the better team even without Jalen Williams. So the, but the guards will have to step up. They will have to play better. What are the rotations going to look like? That is what I'm most interested in. The good news for Auburn and Bruce Pearl and his coaching staff is they've got a week to figure this out. How are how are they going to rotate? Are you still going to start Chris Moore at the three spot and then Cheney Johnson at the four? If you do that, that is a very bad offensive lineup because you've only got three players on the court who really are a threat to score at that point. If you roll with that lineup, if they do it, I think it'll be limited. They might do it to start the game just because you don't want to necessarily mess up that rotation. But guys are also going to have to play. Have to play more minutes. You're usually looking at guys playing 20, 25 minutes. You're going to see Jenei Broom, probably Chad Baker, Mazara both in 30 plus minute range. Denver Jones, Katie Johnson, especially Denver, Denver's already been in that range. Him and KD because they because Denver has started to play the point guard position some, but you're going to you have to going to have to play more minutes now. So what is that rotation going to look like? There's been an idea thrown out there of Jenei Broom playing the four and Dylan Cardwell playing the five. Will Auburn do that? I, I really do not know. I I am very intrigued to see what Auburn tries. I my expectation would be Shane Johnson will be at the four, and Simo will back him up there at the four, and then you'll get a lot more minutes from Chad Baker Mazzara at the three. That would be my guess, but we'll see. I, that is for Bruce Pearl and his staff to figure out. But I I am intrigued to see. Again, it's going to be trial and error to a certain extent, trial and error to a certain extent, and figuring out what works and what. What you might do against Georgia as far as your rotations and lineups may not be what you do against Tennessee and vice versa there. Uh, so we'll see, but big shoes to fill with, with Jalen Williams being out. If Auburn is going to make a run in March, they absolutely have to have Jalen Williams. So that's why it was great news uh, on Sunday morning when it was revealed that he is not a season-ending injury for Jalen and that he will he will be back. Um, that that was fantastic news anybody who saw the play live it was happening right in front of me where I was uh, in the stands in the jungle all all Saturday night it did not look good and so very very good news on that front and, and super happy for Jalen um you know typically as fans we we tend to be a little bit selfish for you know our our, our point of view of you know maybe wanting Auburn to win but for Jalen someone who's gotten to be around him just a little bit over the last two years that I've been in Auburn. Just a fantastic human being, and he has given his all for Auburn. This is his fifth year here; never transferred. It just—he's a—he's an, an amazing person. He didn't deserve for his Auburn career to end like that. So I am super glad that it did not. And if he gets a chance, like expected, to get back on the court for Auburn this season, especially in the SEC tournament or in the NCAA tournament, I firmly believe he's going to make the most of it and will play extremely well so really looking forward to seeing him get back on the court but until then Auburn's going to have to battle they're going to have to figure things out and they're going to have to step up if they want to put themselves in a good position still in the NCAA tournament meaning a high seed they're going to have to figure out how to win games without him down the stretch Well, with that we've got to wrap it up for today's show but thank you all for being tuned in it was a lot had a lot to dive into today between basketball and, and baseball and football, and that will continue as the weeks roll on here as we finish up February and roll into March. But with that being said, we'll be back next week. Hope everyone has a great week, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Talking Tumors. Make sure to tune in again next Monday at 10 for another edition. Also, make sure to check out Weagle's 24-hour live stream on WeagleFM.com. And follow us on social media at Weagle underscore AU. War Eagle, and see you next time.